Let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step by step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me, my time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mansell. I am your host, back with another installment of Your Four. I'm joined by co-host Brandon. Hello. Man, we are busting these Your Four episodes out at the moment. Consecutives, yeah. This is what happens when you go on leave for like six months. (laughs) (laughs) You're away away for a month, but we've got this backlog of questions and and they keep coming in. And so we're just like, man, we're just going to keep firing off Your Four episodes because you guys seem to be enjoying them. Uh, And the feedback we're getting is really good and the questions are really good. So we're just going to keep rolling. Mm -hmm. We have four. Interesting questions, actually. Yeah, I did. I had a quick, uh, quick squeeze of these before we jumped in here into the studio to shoot this episode. And there's like, there's some fitness, there's some business, there's some life. It's quite a, quite a broad um, spread of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, before we, <laughs> before we get stuck into these four questions, it's time. you know what time of year it is, man. Yeah, it's Black time. Friday time. We got some um, man. This uh, listen, we usually do Black Friday big. This year is the biggest we've ever done uh, on, for a couple of different reasons. So there's uh, there's two um, offers on that I want to tell the listeners and the viewers about. The first one is related to MJ's, Massive Joe's, formerly known as Massive Joe's, now known as MJ Fitness, in the process of rebrand. We're getting there. Uh, supplement related. And then the second one is TMJ Apparel. Let's start with the supplement one. Uh, two big offers here, right? And, and on right now. I might say, like started today, uh, up to 25% off participating supplement brands. And I can, I, I, look, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what the brands are. I'm not going to tell you what the discount is, but I'm going to tell you there's over 10 supplement brands participating and it's up to 25% off, uh, these 10 supplement brands plus at a $200 plus spend, I can't even speak properly. I'm so damn excited. <laughs> Spend over 200 bucks, you get a free MJ mystery bag loaded with mystery goodies to the minimum value of 100 bucks. It's literally like unpacking a Christmas present mm. a month before Christmas. Just giving shit out for free. Well, yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, there's the free express shipping at 100, the free gift at 150, the extra free gift, at, all the usual bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Plus these, these the 25%, up to 25% off participating brands and the mystery bags. And the mystery bags are kind of cool because what we've done in the past has always been like, spend 100 bucks, get this, spend 200, get this, spend 300, get this. And we thought, you know what, we're going to add a little mystique into this Black Friday. And it's the mystery bag. You don't know what's in it, but you know it's going to be good shit because you trust us uh, at the $200 spend. And it's going to be at least 100 bucks worth of freebies. Very, very cool. Available both in-store and online today until the 19th of November, midnight, which is Sunday night. So there's like five days to take advantage of the ship. That's the MJ side. On the TMJ apparel side, keeping it super simple this year, but delicious as well, the deepest discount we've ever done on TMJ apparel for Black Friday, 30% off site-wide, store-wide, no exceptions, but you gotta wait a couple days because this one doesn't start until November 17th, which is Friday. 
runs until November 24. So you've got a full week in store and online, strictly while stocks last. Massivejoes.com for the SUPS, tmjapparel.com for the apparel, your closest MJ retail store if you live in the ADL. You go fucking crazy. Fucking epic. Yeah, it really is, man. Mm. I didn't, I didn't know who don't 30% off of TMJ. So. You, oh, you, this is news to you? Yeah. <laughs> that one must have slipped through the cracks. <laughs> Been hiding that one. Hey, man, that's Leah's call. That, that's, that's, mm. that's all Leah on that one. So I didn't know until she told me. And I was like, fuck, yeah. Yeah, let's go. It's good. All right, Bren, four questions. Let's do it. Let's dive in, man. Question one. Do you generally use the same weight on exercises weekly or do you increase weight often? Well, this, is, this, this is that fitness question right there. Mm. Um, look, what I do is I pursue progressive overload. And there's a number of different ways to progressively overload. Probably the two simplest ways are use the same weight and get more reps or get the same reps and use more weight. And you can talk about like workout intensity and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of different ways of progressively overload, supersets, drop sets, all those sorts of things. But those are the two most basic ways to progressively overload. So I always anchor back into those two things. And the way that my workout is programmed at the moment, so my um, workout coach is Jay Tyler, um, at the strength coach on Instagram. Those of you who are interested, I tag him in a bunch of my shit. So if you can follow me on Instagram, you probably already know. But the way that he programs all of my workouts is based on RPE, so rate of perceived effort or rate of perceived exertion. And he'll say, I want you to hit 15 reps at an eight RPE, or I want you to hit eight reps at a nine RPE, or whatever the balance of reps and RPE is, and then he allows me to choose the weight. So the way that I progressively overload with that structure in place is for a given weight, if I hit the number of reps at the correct RPE. So let's say I'm doing uh, incline dumbbell press and I got the, the 47.5s and I'm trying to hit three sets of eight reps at eight RPE and I hit the three sets at eight reps and it felt like eight RPE, I'm gonna increase to 50 kilos next week, right? So I progressively overload by increasing the weight. If I only got two sets of eight and the last set was seven and it was really like, like it was a struggle. It was probably more like a 10 RPE than an eight RPE. The weight is sufficient, so I keep the weight the same and next week I try and hit the reps. So that's how I do it. If, if for a given weight I hit the required reps at the correct RPE, the weight goes up. If I don't, then I'll continue to chase the reps and the weight stays the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I try and increase weight or reps as often as I can. I think progressive overload, doesn't matter what your goal is or what, I mean, your sport is really, it's, it's the goal. Um, but I, I train ultimately for performance and I just ex expect the muscle to follow. Um, but I think you just need to aim to progressively overload over a span of time and you don't need to up it drastically. I mean, you're, you, you're taking a different approach. Yours is far more calculated approach mm. whereas mine's just uh, if you're not tracking your workouts already you need to be you need to be tracking them you need to get an mj fitness journal you, yeah like straight up yeah that was sorry, a MJ fitness training journal i should yeah. say that's a little shameless plug. that's not even a shameless plug <laughs> but it's it. honestly it's not a fucking shameless plug like yeah. either do that or join the mj fitness app because mm. like if you don't track 
how the fuck do you know if you're progressively overloaded? Mm. And this is coming from someone, like I didn't track for years because I was like, oh, you know, I kind of know, yeah. you know, I can feel the weight and I can feel how hard I'm working. Man, like it's just not true. Yeah, I Like you just, you don't know because some days you feel strong, other days you feel weak. Yeah. Some nights you've had a good night's sleep and you feel great and other nights you slept like shit and you feel like shit. You, you need objective data there, which means you need to be tracking. Yeah. So if you want to physically write shit down, go and get an MJ Fitness training journal. If you want to use an app, join the MJ Fitness app. Yeah. And, and track shit. Yeah. Like if nothing else, track shit. Yeah. Before I was using the journal, I've always just used my notes in my phone. Yeah. I use the journal now because it helps me stay off of my phone. So yeah. I've got something physical, <laughs> Added physically benefit. Yeah. in the gym. But to keep it more simple, I pretty much just aim for for more reps, one more rep each workout, an, an extra. I mean. Like I said, you don't have to up it drastically. It can be up by 2.5 kilos, like 1.25 kilos each side, mm. or just one extra rep each. Yeah. Each exercise, each each set, um, and then that's why tracking is so important because I know a lot of people go in there and they just they try and remember what they hit last time, yeah. or they just do to how they feel on it's the bullshit. day. Whereas, like I you mean. said, you'll feel different every workout. Some yeah. days I'll feel weak as fuck. Yeah. And that's, that's a good point as well, the 1.25. Mm. Harley and I produced a, um, uh, an Instagram reel that's doing really well at the moment. It's been shared a bunch of times. And we literally talk about that in the reel. Like I hold up a 1.25 kilo plate and yep. I say, this is progressive overload. Mm. So it doesn't have to be, you know, I mentioned before, 47 and a half kilo dumbbells up to 50. So across both dumbbells, it's a five kilo increase week on week. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that. It can literally yeah. be 1.25. Yeah. Like it's, it's progressive overload is just about doing a little bit more every workout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to make sure you're not, I mean, sacrificing things like form and stuff as well. Of course. Yeah. Just, just to get that extra, extra weight each time. Like you said, just an extra, an extra rep or an extra two kilos. Mm. It's fine. That's it. Next question. Actually, I have a bit of a follow up because I, I okay. actually am pretty interested. How often does your training split change? Uh, every six to eight weeks. Yeah. Do yeah. you, is it usually just like different days and different body parts or do you change a lot of the exercises themselves? A lot of the exercises get changed. Yeah. So Jay will change. Honestly, man, now the actual like split. So like Mondays is back and biceps, Tuesdays is chest and triceps, Wednesdays is a rest day, Thursdays is a shoulder. Like that doesn't change like hardly ever. Mm -hmm. But the exercises change. Like every time that he re reworks a workout split for me, every six to eight weeks, all of the exercises change. Do you find yeah. it a bit hard tracking like progressive overload there, or do you? No, I love it. Different exercises. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I'm in. I'm in. Um, at the moment, I'm in week one of a new training block, and this training block is a six week training block, and I love it because last week was the end of an eight week training block, and I was man, I was fucking working, maxing out. Yeah. Like I was, you know, because yeah. I'm like I find the weights and I'm progressively overloading week on week for eight weeks. So by the time I get to that eight weeks, like every exercise is. Fucking hard. Yeah. Um, and then I love when it changes because now like this week, I'm like, okay, new exercise, all right, I haven't done this exercise for a few months or this exercise I haven't done for years. Let me find the weights. Let me try and make sure I'm at the right RPE. And it's almost like it's a bit of experimenting for mm. the first couple of weeks. Yep. And then I hit my stride and now we're, now we're fucking working. Yeah. Um, so I really enjoy it. Just even like psychologically, I really enjoy it. And I think physically my body benefits from it as well. 
um, just different stimulus. Mm. I think that's important what you said as well. It's getting harder. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people go into the gym or they've just started training and they think, okay, the stronger I get, the easier it's going to get. No. Whereas you're just getting stronger, but you're you're still challenging yourself every workout and you're still trying to trying to add more weight, add more reps, get stronger at that movement. So Yeah. Well if you and that's progressive overload in a nutshell. Mm. And if you stop doing that, you stop progressing. Mm. <laughs> you plateau. Yeah. So, you know, you should always be working fucking hard in the gym. Yeah. If you're if you're trying to progress. Yeah. If you're just doing it for mental health mm. or it's your third space and it makes you happy and whatever, then you know, take what we said and throw it out the window and yeah. you, you go do you. Yeah. But if you're trying to get stronger or build more muscle or increase your fitness capacity or your workout capacity or any of those things, you have to be challenging your body, which means you have to be pro progressively overloading. Mm. Awesome. Next question. This one's a long fucking question. This man. is a long question, man. <laughs> Somebody spent some serious time writing this question. Whoever wrote this question, first and foremost, thank you for taking the time to write this question. Yeah, adds context. A lot of it helps us sort of break it down. It helps us give proper advice. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. Question two. I work in healthcare and recently I've had two opportunities to switch to a position where I ultimately see myself for the long term of my career. I interviewed well, presented myself as enthusiastic and longing for this type of position but it wasn't until they actually offered me the job that details like schedule, hours, pays, pay, etc., were revealed and I had to decline both times. The first time because it was going to be a $10 pay cut and the second time because it would be working the complete opposite schedules of my wife. We're newly, we're newly married and want to have kids soon. So now I feel like I've painted myself in a negative light to the management because I'm not taking this opportunity that's been presented to me. And then he's got two follow-up questions sort of specific to each of us. Mm -hmm. So to me, have I ever had to decline a job offer that I thought I originally wanted and how did I go about it? So I haven't actually had to turn down a job because of salary, flexibility or whatever, but I've had to choose out of the two. Mm -hmm. And it was ultimately because of career possession, uh, progression, whereas the other job actually offered me a higher salary. Mm -hmm. So... You say here that it's a position that you, you see yourself in the long term, but money and work-life balance is what's important to you. I think if that's the case, you just need to be honest and communicate that with your employer and then live with that decision. But like, really, really think about it because if the career pro progression is there, like the opportunity to upskill and increase your salary, maybe the short term, bit lower salary and not ideal hours are worth considering. I'm sure you have considered it, but... Do you have any thoughts on that before I get to your specific? Uh, no, I just want to sit on your thoughts with yeah, that. Right. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have a follow-up because I've just had a quick squeeze of the question for me and they kind of tie together. So. Yeah, okay. Well, to Joe, as a business owner, would you be reluctant to hire me? There's a bit of a typo there. Would you be reluctant to hire me if I applied for that same job in the future, even if I made sure to communicate why I was turning down the offer? and that I'm still interested in that line of work if the variables like pay, scheduling were different? I think like your answer was, was great. Um, and I think the most important thing here is, is uh, open, honest and vulnerable communication. And I have been in this position a number of different times. I was literally in this position two months ago with one of our um, employees who I offered a position to that was a step up 
and this employee turned that position down and communicated why they didn't feel like that was an opportunity. Although they, they are interested in the opportunity, right now at this point, it wasn't an opportunity that they wanted to pursue. I think communication here is super important and I think any good leader will respect and empathize with the reasons for declining the opportunity if you're open, honest, and lean into the vulnerability around why. You can't kind of dick around um, and, and, and you can't kind of go, yeah, no, nah, I'm not interested, and then not provide context why. Mm -hmm. um, because that's gonna be received completely different. If you just come straight out and say, look, I'm not interested in this opportunity, full stop, end of discussion, mm -hmm. then no, I'm not gonna consider you for it in the future. Yeah. <laughs> because I gave you the opportunity, fucking turned it down, and you didn't tell me why you turned it down. Mm. So I'm not gonna think of you in the future. Yep. Multiple situations. I can literally think off the top of my head three times. So there's probably more like five to six. But I can think of three times where I've been in this exact situation. The person has communicated at the time why the opportunity didn't suit them. And most of the time, it just wasn't the right fit for them, whether it was career progression. It's, it's never actually been a paid situation, not yet at least, but whether it was career progression, whether it was something that they wanted to pursue at that point in time, um, the hours thing has come up before. They've communicated it to me. I've said, yep, cool, I get it. And I've offered it to them again, later down the track. Mm -hmm. And usually, later down the track, they've accepted it. Mm -hmm and done a great fucking job. Yep. So that's how I have dealt with the situation. I think, yeah, I want, I want to give valuable advice here because I can't kind of say that's how I deal with it, but if your boss is different to yeah. me, then they're going to deal with it completely differently and what the fuck was the point of my answer. So I want to make sure that I try and give value here. I think the value that I can give is to lean into that communication aspect. And, and you, like you've got nothing to lose. Right, so if there's a problem with the pay, say there's a problem with the pay, right? If there's a problem with the hours, say there's a problem with the hours. If there's a problem with the scheduling, say there's a problem with the scheduling. If you, if you have the courage to have that uncomfortable conversation, you never know, like it could be negotiable, mm. right? So the offer on the pay, if it's, it, I'm gonna say it's 10 bucks per hour less. Mm. Okay, well maybe we can, maybe we can meet in the middle. You know, maybe we can't give you what you're currently being paid because there's a different position, different responsibilities, but maybe we can go to like five bucks less. You know, if the scheduling is an issue and it's really important to you that you have time with your, with your wife, you guys are newly married, okay, do we have flexibility around that? Can we, but if you don't have the courage to have those uncomfortable conversations, you're never gonna get to that point. Mm. So that's my advice, right, is, is be open, be honest, communicate, um, don't get scared by the situation or how it's going to be received or whatever. Lean into it. Cool. Question three. How will the new TGA capsule regulations affect MJ stock and business? Uh, timely question. I was actually... Um, so I recorded a video... Uh, Back in 2020, it was actually, it was three years ago, it was November 2020, um, and I was watching it a couple of days ago because there's been, obviously there's been a lot of talk about this. These, um, for the listeners and the viewers that are not aware, so these capsule regulations, um, 
just a bit of background context. So four or five years ago, the TGA decided that they wanted to change the way that sports supplements were regulated from a therapeutic goods perspective. And so they started doing this investigation. There was a round table with industry. They, you know, um, there was a whole, a whole bunch of communication from the TGA to the industry about how do, what do we do here? This is what we wanna do. What do you guys think? How does this work in with industry? How do we make this work? Um, and I was at, at a number of these roundtable discussions that they invited a bunch of, um, for lack of a better term, influential people in the industry, I guess, um, to, to give our two cents on. And so they rolled out the first of these three years ago. So November, 2020, they rolled out the first um, amendments to the way that sports supplements were regulated. And the first amendments were if you had dynamine or dendrobium, I think, or if you included any ingredient that was on the WADA prohibited list or any ingredient that was in the therapeutic goods um, uh, schedule of poisons and you were advertising as a sports supplement, you are now a therapeutic good. So that was step one, that was three years ago. Then they said, if you advertise as a sports supplement and you're in capsule form, you are now also a therapeutic good. But we're gonna give industry three years to sort their shit out before this comes into play. So they announced that back in November, 2020, and they said this will come into play on November 30, 2023. So now we're two weeks and a day away, it's been three years, and now this is gonna take effect November 30, 2023. So if you, advertise as a sports supplement, and you are in the form of a pill, a capsule, or a tablet, you are now classed as a therapeutic good. You have to comply with the Therapeutic Goods Act. You have to be registered as a therapeutic good on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, and you can only use these certain ingredients and these certain doses, and you can only make these certain claims. That's the background. <clears throat> Back to the question. How will it affect MJ stock and business? Well, effectively, we can't sell any of the capsule products that we currently sell that aren't on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods. We deal with a bunch of different brands. A lot of them have capsule form products. The only ones that are on the ARTG are the Herbs of Gold products. So we can continue selling Herbs of Gold, vitamin C and fish oil and vitamin D and all of these capsule form products. But for example, all of the first form capsulated products we can't sell after November 30. All of the uh, Primabolics capsulated products that are quite popular, we can't continue selling after November 30. So all of those capsule products that are not gonna be on the ARTG, not registered as therapeutic goods, we can't sell after November 30. That being said, there's been three years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these brands have had the last three years to take these capsule formulas and put them in powder. And if now they're powder, well, they don't get caught by this legislation. Mm -hmm. So you will see, you've already seen, but you will continue to see over the next few months, a lot of these popular capsule products be brought out of capsules and brought into powders. And therefore, you know, there might be some name changes and some ingredient changes, but effectively for the most part, the product's gonna be the same. It's just gonna be powder form, not capsule form. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is there anything that these companies can really do now? I mean, it's obviously very late. Mm. After that's after that law has been like after November thirty, yeah. Is there anything they can do or is it just can they like register? Like I don't I don't really understand what yeah. like herbs of gold have done to be able to Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So yes, you can. Yeah. The issue is, and um, those of you who are interested in, in learning more about this, I encourage you to go and watch the video that I did three years ago. If you just Google um, TGA Massive Joes, it'll literally be the first video that comes up on Google or, or YouTube. Um, and it's a 20 minute video and I talk about exactly how this plays out and all of the issues with it. Because make no mistake about it, it's fucking dumb. Mm. Like straight up. Yeah. It, 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 Listen, man, like I sat in these fucking round tables with the TGA and they really didn't listen to much of what we had to say. Mm -hmm. They kind of knew the direction they were going to go. And I think that they held these round tables just to say that they'd considered industry, but like nothing that was brought up at these round tables was actioned upon. Like literally nothing. So they already had their mind. A hundred percent. They had the framework and the framework was what got rolled out. Yeah. And really the one thing that I guess they gave a bit on was the three year the time. time frame yeah. for industry to kind of, you know, get its shit together. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 I can empathize with the Therapeutic Goods Administration because sports supplements when the therapeutic goods act was set up and when food standards were set up almost 30 years ago now sports supplements for the most part didn't exist right so you were either a food or you were a pharmaceutical good or a ther what we call in australia a therapeutic good mm -hmm. there was nothing in between right so i get it you had food standards regulating foods you had the tga regulating pharma and, and therapeutics, and you'd have to worry about anything else. And over the last 30 years, this gray area in the middle mm. of sports supplements has, has come about, and it, they're kind of foods, but they're kind of therapeutics, and well, does food standards regulate? Mm. Or does the TGA regulate? And then you've got the complicating issue where food standards is state-based and state-enforced, so there's no congruency across the states. TGA is federal. So it doesn't matter what state you live in, it's a federal law, it's congruent. So it's like, it's, it's, it's hard. I get it, like it's really hard and I don't envy the decision makers, but I feel like there was a, an opportunity to do it better and rather than trying to do it better, they tried to take the current structure and fit a square peg in a round hole. And here we are where now, we, we can't sell a, a, a capsule form liver detox product because it has one ingredient that doesn't sit on the Australian Register of Therapeutic Goods, so it can't be used in this product. So now we, we get very basic formulas with very basic ingredients that typically are underdosed because you have to do that to get them registered, to get them sitting on the ARTG. Mm because the RTG was never set up to regulate sports supplements, it was set up to regulate pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I, I think ultimately the net effect here is that consumers are going to miss out on some very good products um, that really pose very minimal health risk, mm -hmm. but they're gonna get caught up in this legislation, the consumers are gonna miss out, um, and then business is gonna be affected as well. Because, you know, it's not, it, it's not going to have a big effect on us because we've had the three-year lead time. But, man, you go back three years ago, we sell a lot of capsules. Mm. We used to sell a lot of capsules. And now, well, fuck. Yeah. 
they've like there's been a lot of changes over the years with, that the TGA has brought in. Have any of them been this drastic? This is the biggest one I've seen. Yeah, yeah, because um, usually it's like an ingredient one gets ingredient, banned. Yeah, you know, like everyone remembers Jack 3D, mm. DS craze, you know, and then they banned DMAA, right? One three dimethylamylamine. Uh, and so that knocked that, but that was just one ingredient. Mm. So all of these products, they just took the ingredient out, reformulated, put something else in. Yeah. Right. So it's all, I've only ever seen it like one ingredient. This is the biggest, widest sweeping change because now it's not just one ingredient, it's anything on the wider list plus whatever the TGA decides is what they call a quote unquote prescribed ingredient that they can make their mind up at any time. Plus it's anything that's in capsule form. Or tablet or pill, yeah. so like it's it's the the it's huge. Like the spread is huge. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the biggest sweeping change that I've seen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's it. Next question. Question four. Last question. If you could go back to your twenties, what would you tell yourself about life and business? It's <sighs> one of those deep questions. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd have to yeah you have to refine it as well because this. There's so Fuck many time, things, yeah. man. If I go back to my 20s, shit. How old are you? 28, yeah. All right. So if you could go back to your early 24. 20s. <laughs> if you go back to your early 20s, let's say like mm. five, six years ago. Yeah. What, what, would, what would you tell yourself? Because you're going back like five years. I'm going back like 15 yeah. years. I mean, the main one that pops up for me is, I mean, you don't have to have everything figured out in your 20s. Yeah. It's a time, it really is a time for making mistakes, learning lessons, trying new shit. And I think, I know social media in comparison has played a huge part in that. Yeah. But realizing, realizing I don't, this is probably an answer that most people, like most people would expect, but most people would say as well. But mm -hmm. really just realizing everyone's their own main character mm. and you're just a side character in their life. And the amount of time that, people spend thinking about you is close to never and I think what holds a lot of people back and has held me back is other people's opinions mm. and how you're viewed to other people and I don't think people are that afraid of failure failure itself I think they're afraid of people's opinions of them when they fail mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. so reminding myself pretty much reminding myself every day of my mortality has been something that's helped me and people that don't often think about death probably think it's like fucked up to constantly remind yourself about death um, but I think it's a way to to help you be conscious and really bring you into the present but yeah the amount of the amount of times things of the people have like held me back by their perceived the perceived thoughts of of me but it's not actually what they're thinking or they're hardly ever thinking about me I think that's huge and I think I'm finally getting out of it now. And you hear like you hear me talking about it now and you read about this shit and you hear motivational speeches, but it's all well and good, but it's easier said than done to get through those thought processes. Mm. But you need you need to do the work. Like a lot of these, like when you you feel like this and it's it really just goes back to like it goes back to your upbringing, it goes back to your childhood. And things like that and really doing the work to get through that is <clears throat> something that i don't know 
Yeah, I don't really know how to articulate it properly, but I mean, you gave me a book recently, it's something I'm reading at the moment, how to do the work. And I think mm -hmm. learning more about like trauma bonds and your inner child and just everyone, everyone had traumas growing up, whether you think you had a perfect childhood, perfect upbringing or not, that affects the way you think and affects the way you are at this age. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really just, just knowing that people don't think about you and like, in a hundred years, we're all going to be fucking dead, man. Like the people that you, the people that, whose opinions you cared about, I mean, the people you love and stuff, we're all not going to be here. So like, why, why do you stress so much about what people think about you? Mm. That's, that's probably the main one that I've like constantly come back to yeah. that I've like worked through. I've gotten to the point where I don't really care, but obviously not, it's not eliminated fully, but it's something that I usually try and really keep conscious of and, and work on fear of other people's opinions yeah it's big man yeah it is and yeah. i think a lot of people struggle with it mm. i think it's, it's prevalent today more, yeah. more than ever yeah with it's everyone one... everyone having an opinion now well and everyone listening to other people's opinions yeah. right that like you know you you go back to fuck man you go back to when i was in my early 20s and like there literally was no social media mm. like i remember stumbling across facebook in the fucking engineering computing suite one night yeah. and that was like the start of social media um but you know back then like you, you didn't think about what that person on instagram thought about the post that you did mm. because there was no person on instagram yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like it was just your circle but now you're thinking about what does this person on the other side of the fucking world think that left this nasty comment on my video or you know all that sort of shit so you know it, it's definitely um you know, much more prevalent than it was when I was in my early 20s. So I got a bunch here for both life and business and I've, I've distilled them down to three each. And, and I think these are, at this stage in my life, these are the three most important things that I would tell myself if I could go back like 15 years to my early 20s. So life, the top three things are, the first one is to make sure that I'm primarily identifying as a learner rather than an achiever. And we've spoken about this in, in a couple of different episodes of this podcast, but always kind of coming back to making sure that in order of priority, learning is more important to me than achieving. Um, because achievement's great, fantastic, but you're gonna bump your head up against glass ceilings time and time again. And you're gonna be in situations where you're doing the best you can possibly do and you're just not getting the outcomes that you want to get. You're not, you're not achieving what you want to achieve. And identifying first and foremost as a learner and prioritizing learning over achieving is the unlock to whatever the universe throws in your direction. So that would be my first thing that if I could go back to 22, 23 year old me, I would say achieving is great, you know, set goals, work towards them, work as hard as you can and, and, you know, put some wins on the board, but always make sure that first and foremost, you're learning and that's what you're identifying with. The second is don't numb negative emotions and don't avoid discomfort. 
I think when we're young, it's very easy to steer away from emotions that we don't want to experience and feel and situations that we just want to avoid because they're uncomfortable and they're not, not very nice. And we're like, you know what? We can stuff all those fucking emotions back down here and we can avoid all this uncomfortable shit. And as you get older, you understand that all you're doing is sweeping that shit under the carpet and it, it, it's going to appear at some point later in your life. Um, and the other aspect of that is if you consciously numb negative emotions, you're unconsciously numbing positive ones as well. So your ability to experience happiness and joy and bliss and fulfillment and all of these beautiful things that are coming your way. If you numb your ability to feel sadness and frustration and anger and grief and all of these negative emotions, you're actually also numbing your ability to lean completely into the positive emotions. And there is a direct correlation between the two. And I know because I've had the life experience to know. So I would say, hey, young Joe, <laughs> that grief that you're trying to stuff down into the fucking basement and that anger that you're avoiding and that sadness that you're numbing with um, alcohol and whatever the fuck you're numbing it with, just understand that you may not realize this, but you're actually negatively affecting your ability to experience some of the highest highs that are coming that you haven't experienced just yet. So that would be my second piece of advice. And then the third one is my little uh, personal mantra. Only good things happen for me. And specifically, I would remind my younger self that as much as I wish that I can control the things that happen in my life, I am completely insignificant in the big scheme of things. And the universe does not give a fuck about who I am or what I want. And things are going to happen. And I have absolutely no control over them. The two things that I can always control is whether I perceive those things as good or bad, and whether I perceive those things as happening to me or happening for me. My advice to a younger me would be always perceive things that are happening as good and always perceive them as happening for you, not to you. And know that you can never join the dots of your life looking forward, but you can always join them looking back. And you're not gonna know how the dots are gonna join until you get to a point in your life where you can look back and go, ah, you know that thing that I thought at that point in my life that was the worst fucking thing that could happen and happened to me and knocked me for fucking six, now I can see that was actually the best thing that's ever happened for me because it led me on the path that led to this, that led to this, that led to this, that led to this. So I would just remind myself of that. In business, this is an interesting one because I have a lot of business lessons. <laughs> and back in my early 20s, I thought I knew a lot about business. I knew fucking nothing about business. So once again, to distill down to the three lessons that I would pull out, the first one is, is so fucking cliche. And you know, you, we've heard this time and time again, uh, but the more business experience I have, the more that I know it to be true is 
focus on profit, not on revenue. The old saying in business is profit is sanity, revenue or sales is vanity. Or, you know, there's a few different ways to say it. But if you're focusing on profit, you're sane. If you're focusing on top line sales or revenue, you just, it's all ego. And it is a 100% true. And I have been caught up in this so many times, it makes me feel fucking stupid looking back at it because I was like, why didn't I learn that the first time? <laughs> and then I went and did the same shit again. And then I learned a little bit, but it wasn't enough. And I did the same shit again. But it's such an important uh, business fundamental is you can be doing all the fucking sales in the world. You can have top line growth. You can have top line revenue growth. You can chase that million dollar, $10 million, $100 million, billion dollar top line growth. If your expenses are too high, you're not gonna have a business for very long. So that's business lesson number one. Very, very valuable. Business lesson number two is to always keep your back up against the wall. And what I mean by that is when I first started in business, which was my early 20s, actually my late teens, I, my back was up against the wall. I had like nowhere to go but forward because I didn't have anything. So I was fucking hungry and I was desperate and I didn't let little shit slide because I couldn't afford to because my back was up against the fucking wall. As I had some success and as I started notching some wins on the board, my back come up off that wall and I lost a little bit of the desperation. And because I lost a little bit of the desperation, I got a little bit complacent. Because I got a little bit complacent, I started letting shit slide. So you know what, we're growing, all good, opening new stores, top line sales are growing, bringing on new staff, new products, it's all happening, it's all happening. You know what? Missing that Instagram post, that's no big deal. We're all good. You know what? That customer that didn't have a particularly good experience in one of our stores or on our website, that's ah, all right, there's more customers out there. Don't worry about it. That sort of shit, it's the beginning of the end. So my second lesson to my younger self in business is keep your back up against the wall and hold the fucking line. Don't negotiate. And then the third lesson, and this one is, is probably one that has come later in my career and, and probably one that's come over the last, I would say two to three years, is make sure that you take the time to identify where the true value is in your business. And this is gonna be very much dependent on the line of business that you're in, but it's very easy to get caught up in chasing growth and chasing dollars uh, in business and not actually taking the time to go, shit, is this actually sustainable over the long term because there's real value here? Or is this just a, a small moment in time that's gonna get chewed up? And I'll talk about it in the context of a product-based business, right? 
So in a product-based business, there's a few different links along the chain. There's the, the brand, right, that produces the products. And then that brand will usually sell their products to a distributor. And then that distributor will sell their products to a retailer. And then that retailer will sell their products to the end consumer. And at each of these steps along the way, there's value in those links in the chain. So the retailer has value with the end consumer, but the retailer is selling a brand that the distributor sold to them, and the distributor is selling a brand that the brand sold to the distributor. And so really at any time, if the distributor decides to cut the retailer out and go into consumer, well, they've chewed up that value. If the brand decides to cut the distributor and the retailer out and go direct to consumer, they've cut both of those links out along the chain. Right? And you can, at every step along that chain, you can consider what those relationships look like and where the true value is. And in that scenario, the ultimate value is between the brand and the end consumer. That's it. That's the, that's, that's the ultimate value proposition. If you're a distributor, you can be cut out by the brand and you can be cut out by the retailer. If you're the retailer, you can be cut out by the distributor, you can be cut out by the brand. Right, so at each step along the, the, the typical distribution chain, there's value and then there's loss of value. And that's just to give one example. The same thing applies to different service-based businesses. The same thing applies to different tech-based businesses. It's business specific. But have the cognizance to really sit with and really think about over the long term, where is the value in my business? and make sure that I may not be there right now, but I'm heading towards that ultimate value proposition. That would be my third lesson. Awesome. That's it. But I could literally do a whole episode yeah. <laughs> of this yeah, podcast and it would go for fucking three hours and I could, I could probably list 10 life lessons and 10 business lessons that are you know, almost equally as valuable. But I think those are the three most valuable life lessons at this point in my life that I would go back to a younger me in my early 20s and say, focus on these three things and in business, focus on these three things. Episode 100 is coming up, could be. Ah, it might be. Are we, are we close? Not far, yeah. And this that's, is, that's episode 97. Fucking hell. It's our business, I think. And that's plus all the episodes of the Massive Joe show we did before. Yeah, that's not included, I don't reckon. Yeah. Or is it? I don't know. No, it's not. Yeah. No, because we started Fitness Times Business new, fresh at episode number one. Yeah. Okay. Fucking hell, we've done I a lot of I think it's podcasts. 97, this one. I want to know, listeners and viewers, how many of you guys have listened to every episode? Because that's quite an investment. I'd be interested to know. Because mm. I know we have some long-time listeners. Yeah. Right back to like the first episode of the Massive Joe Show back in, fuck, what was that? 2018? Back in 18, yeah. Right? I think I went back five like years or so ago, yeah. Yeah, no, we'll see. I have yeah. to keep that in mind. I didn't realise we were so close. Yeah, also, if you have any ideas that you'd like to hear yeah. for episode 100. <laughs> well, there you go. Any special guests, any yeah. special topics. Yeah, speaking of ideas, um, if you guys have any questions, we're still working through a backlog, so there's a, there's, a, there's a few that we're working through. But if you have any questions that we would like us to consider putting in the next episode of Your Four, the best place to send them, straight to Brandon on Instagram, at Brandon Birdie, B-I-A-N-D-O-N-V-E-R-D-E. 
that's the best place to send them. You can send them to me as well. I just take a screenshot and send them straight to Brandon. Um, Brandon compiles them and produces the nice spread of questions that we have to keep you guys interested and, uh, and involved in listening to this show. That's it. Brandon. Thank you. I almost forgot. The one thing we ask in return is if you guys have enjoyed listening and you've taken some value and you've been entertained over the last, I don't even know how long this episode's gone, almost an hour, one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. Um, one of the best ways we love seeing the show shared is to take a screenshot right now on your favorite podcasting platform or YouTube if you're watching uh, the, the video version. Post that in your Instagram story or your Facebook story or your TikTok story, whatever fucking social media platform you're on. We don't care. But make sure you tag us in that because we love seeing those tags. We like to reshare as many of them as we possibly can. That's the one thing we ask in return. That's it. Yep. Brandon? Thank you. Thank you. It's been another awesome episode. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you were here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode. <laughs>